Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 87 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 16th of September 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 19. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 34. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. All right, our scripture reading, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll begin reading at verse 23. I do invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. Again, as we begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged." But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Father, thank you again so very much, Lord, for this time that we can have together. Thank you, Lord, for the precious word that you have preserved for us that We have just read from that, Lord, today we can have the confidence of knowing, Lord, that we have your word, your inspired word that's been preserved for us to this day, that we can read and know exactly what you desire of us. Now, Father, you know the hearts of each individual here this morning. You know exactly what is needed. And so, Father, we pray that you would take by the power of your spirit for your glory, Lord, that you would take and speak through your word to the hearts of each individual we give you all the thanks, all the praise, all the glory for it in Christ's precious name. Amen and amen. Well, as we continue today, number 87 in our series on contending for the faith, I think that uh, we're up to what, number 19 on the glorious church of Jesus Christ. We're continuing looking at the ordinances of the church. This will be the eighth one upon that. And of course, in considering the ordinances of the church, we've been looking these past few weeks on the Lord's Supper. We've seen that it was Jesus Christ himself that instituted his table, the Lord's table, as an ordinance for his church as a table of remembrance. And as we observe this ordinance, we we do it in remembrance of him, to remember him. We do it in obedience to his command. 
We do it to, to give thanks for all that he is and all that he's done and everything that he's still doing for us and will do for us. We do it as a perpetual, continual witness of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and of his soon return for us that belong to him. It's a time of self-examination to deal with any sin or hindrance within us that, that we might know true, genuine communion with God. And it's a time of true fellowship and communion for we as a local church body together. We've also seen that the ordinance, both baptism and the Lord's Supper, they were given to the church, local, visible body of Christ, in order for the church to keep them. And it's therefore the church that has the authority and the responsibility to administer the Lord's table. The instructions that were given to the church, we've seen that they don't specify any specific time and frequency, but they do instruct us in how it should be done when it is done. It's for the church to come together in one place, the Bible says, to partake of the Lord's Supper. And as that church, as that body comes together to do so, those that participate should be saved. They should be baptized. They should be a member in good standing of a local body. If that church desires to invite guests, they should be a member of another church. The same requirements should apply to those that come if they're a member of another church of like faith and order. Only then, only when we follow the scriptural order can that requirement for unity and oneness be met that's required when we come around the Lord's table to keep from making a mockery of it, to make light of it, something that it's not. So I've been these last weeks looking at the instituting of this table given to us by our Lord. We've just answered a few questions that would help us. When we should practice the observance of that table, where we should partake of the table, who should participate in this observance. Now I want to ask one other question this morning that's given to us in the instructions that the Lord's given us. What elements should be provided at the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper. It is a time that we come together for this special, if you want to call it a meal, that's what some would, would call it, but really as we come around this time to feed with Him, I'd like to get you to look back to the portion of Scripture that we've been looking at in our reading here today. And this notice, you might say, well, preacher, this is real simple. Yes, it is. But as simple as it is, just as with many of these other things, there's still confusion over it. <laughs> we find that he said here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the, in verses 23 to 25, Paul said to the church, For I have received of the Lord. The Lord himself gave me this. That which also I delivered unto you. The Lord gave it to me. I brought it to you that the Lord Jesus, 
the same night in which he was betrayed, the first thing it says is he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And then he says, after the same manner also, he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus took bread. Jesus took the cup. When he took the bread, he said, this is my body. When he took the cup, he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. There are passages that we looked at in the Gospels where Jesus Christ was instituting this table. I'm not going to go back and read all of them, but we find that they're very similar in their wording. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 26, and it said, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, and break it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus is the one that as he took the bread, he said, this is my body. As he took the cup, he said, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. We find those very similar words as we look into Mark and to Luke, also stating these same simple truths that he took the bread, that he took the cup, they were his body and they were his blood. So there's two elements, two elements that are symbolic of two things, his body and his blood. First of all, his body. When we come around the Lord's table, we come to remember Jesus. But we find in this passage that he's giving us this picture as we remember him, this symbol of his body specifically. What did he give us at that table to symbolize his body? The Lord Jesus took bread. It was the bread that he took that he said, this is my body. Now, again, I would say to you clearly, and I want to point out in Scripture, it's a point of contention between many. That's fine. But I believe that as we look into Scripture that, that it wasn't just any bread, but that it was unleavened bread that was taken by Jesus that he held up and that he said, this is my body. Now, some will say, well, preacher, it doesn't say that. It just says bread. Well, I would say to you, I think if we look at the Scripture, he didn't have to say it because it was such a given that it didn't even need to be spoken. Why? Well, take a look. First, if you go back to all three of those passages that we have, have looked at in the Gospels, and we look back there to when Jesus was instituting the Lord's table. I want you to look back there and again, just in that, uh, in that first passage in Matthew, 
that in chapter 26, I want you to notice, we read this passage when we were here before. I want you to notice just a few verses before the instituting, back up in verse 17, it says, Now the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And there's a couple of things there. It's a given. There's no question that they're going to have the Passover. That wasn't even a question, are we going to do it? It was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and you can look all back in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread are one and the same. They're two names for the same feast. This was what was coming up. This was what the disciples went and said, okay, where are we going to do this? Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee, for you, to eat the Passover? Of course, the Passover with the small p in your Bibles is usually referring to the Passover lamb, the lamb itself, the capital P, the feast itself, called being called the Passover. So here they're asking, where do you want us to go prepare the Passover lamb for you to eat? And he said, go into the city to such a man and say unto him, the master saith, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now notice, and as they did eat, what? The Passover. He said, verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. The same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said... Now, I'm not going to be dogmatic here. We, as we read and compare all three passages, many think that at this point that Judas was actually gone and that it was the 11 left with him when he actually instituted the table just simply because of the way that, 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 that this same passage is worded in some of the other gospels. We don't know that for sure, but we know that it was at this point that they're there gathered in this room. They are eating the Passover and we find that it says, and as they were eating, verse 26, as they were eating what? Passover. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Folks, we find that as we look there, that Jesus clearly, we know again as we put them all together, it was Peter and John that he, that he sent into the city to make ready the Passover he was gathered together with his disciples for the purpose of celebrating that Passover. In fact, we know later, looking back, that it was to be the last Passover because he himself was about to become the one true Passover lamb. The Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, if, if, if you would. We find that that's what they were celebrating when they came together and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Now, it's not our purpose today to go through 
all of the representations and celebrations of the Passover, the feast in the Old Testament. There's a lot there that's wonderful. But the Jewish people had been celebrating this Passover at this time for over 1,500 years. We find that it is very important to remember some things specifically. Back in Exodus chapter 12, we find the instructions being given to Moses concerning the Passover, concerning the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Listen to this in chapter 12, verse 8. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, that's what they were doing, and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. So the Passover had to be eaten. Unleavened bread was part of that. But I want to turn back there, and I want to read you just a couple of verses after that. Still in Exodus chapter 12, where these instructions were being given, notice down in verse 14 what the Word of God tells us there. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall ye, shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And you can continue reading down. He expounds upon that. The sheer fact was that in making ready for the Passover, not only was it unleavened bread that had to be eaten as part of that feast, they couldn't even have any leaven in the house. The house had to be cleared of leaven. And it was an important symbol. So much so that in Israel in those days, they would be cut off if they had any leaven whatsoever found in their house. Is that important, preacher? I believe it's very important. I believe it's very important that we understand exactly what was taking place. And you can take and you can read it in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You'll find that it just builds upon it. All these things concerning the Passover, there's never any question about this idea. There's never any question we see that leavened bread could not, it would not have been present in the house during the celebration of the Passover when Jesus, while they were eating, took bread and said, this is my body. So first of all, it wouldn't even have been a question. It didn't need to say he took unleavened bread because celebrating the Passover, it was a given. He only took unleavened bread. Secondly, I want you to notice Paul's instructions again to the church at Corinth here. Before we get to our current passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we find back in chapter 5. Now, back in chapter 5, Paul has just rebuked the church for not dealing with the sin of fornication in their midst. And then he goes on to explain to them the terrible effect that even a little sin can have in their midst, the effect that it can have on the whole body. He uses leaven to symbolize that sin and then speaking directly about this feast, he contrasts the leaven with the unleavened. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse 6 to 8, he says, you're glorying 
is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Not only was it unleavened bread that was being used at the table that they were instituting, he's showing the symbolism there that it should not only be representing Jesus Christ, it should be representing the body of Christ. All the leaven should be gone. We need to understand the importance of not only the reality of what we're doing, but what it symbolizes as we come around the table. Now, the church at Corinth, they would have clearly understood that symbolism. Paul was speaking here of the unleavened bread of the feast to show the importance of the church being unleavened. The unleavened was a symbol of sincerity and truth. The leaven was a symbol of evil, of wickedness. Leaven in Scripture always represents a strong influence, a strong influence of one thing upon another. And in most cases, it's an evil influence, whereas unleavened never represents anything evil. Unleavened is always used to symbolize purity, sincerity, truth. There's only one exception where that leaven is used to symbolize something that we wouldn't say is evil, and that's where he's showing the influence of the kingdom of heaven upon this world. That as God's people here upon this world, we should be having that influence on the world rather than the world having its influence upon us. We find that when we look into the Scriptures, the things that that leaven often symbolize the evil doctrine that was being espoused by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians, the fleshly externalism of their religion, of all, all this on the outside and nothing on the inside, the skepticism that they had towards the Word of God, the worldliness amongst them. There are many passages, Matthew chapter 16, 22, 23. We find that several places in Mark where all these passages are showing it. That means that there's at least three biblical reasons that we use unleavened bread at the Lord's table. We should use unleavened bread at the Lord's table because, first of all, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper using unleavened bread. Dogmatic. There is no question. There is no possibility of it being anything different. We should use unleavened bread at the Lord's table because the instructions given to the church in symbolizing the heart condition of the church body and their relationship with sin tells us to keep the feast with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Even there, the feast, keeping that feast, just as we keep the feast 
with unleavened bread. <laughs> we need to have that unleavened bread as our lives as well. Our lives need to be unleavened. In other words, get rid of the living, the leaven out of your lives. We should use unleavened bread at the Lord's table because in all of Scripture, with only one exception, the influence of leaven is an evil influence. But the unleavened is always a symbol of purity and truth and sincerity. The bread is symbolizing the pure, sinless body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's unleavened bread that would best do that. The only kind of bread that could do that. When we partake of the Lord's table, the first element that is offered is the unleavened bread. It's to symbolize the very body of our Lord. Remember him, his body that was given and broken for you. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. His body. His body that was born into this world like no other. Virgin born. Begotten of God the Father through the Holy Spirit. His body that was tempted in all points, just like you, just like me, except with his. It was without sin. His body that did what no other body that ever lived upon this earth could, could do, he fulfilled the perfect law of God, holy and righteous in every thought, in every action, in everything that he did his body, the only body, the only body that ever existed that could truly be offered as this Passover lamb, as our Passover, as we read there, without spot, without blemish, the perfect sacrifice for all time, his body. Yes, he said here that was broken for you. His body that was willingly given to be betrayed, to be belittled, to be beaten, to be bound to that old rugged cross in your place and my place, to be buried in a borrowed tomb. It wasn't even his. His body <laughs> that was taken up <laughs> by himself on the third day. He arose bodily, his body that arose from that grave, victorious over death, victorious over hell, victorious over the grave. His body that ascended up on high, his body that is coming again one day, not only to see his glorified body, but to give you and I a glorified body just like his. Is it important it is, folks. It's not for you and I to judge or to condemn others that do it differently. But we're talking about the Lord's table, and it needs to be done properly. And yes, we could get just any old piece of bread out here, but when that comes around and you see those little flat, thin pieces of bread that are in the offering table, the reason that they're there because they're representing the body of our Lord, and it's unleavened to symbolize his purity. And so when we come around the Lord's table, there's two elements that we 
come to partake. One is the bread. The bread to symbolize the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the second is blood. He took the cup. Now, we've already seen in all these passages, we've looked at when Jesus instituted and instructions that Jesus Christ, when he took that cup, he gave thanks, he gave it to them, and he told them to drink it. Okay, well, in all of those instances that we look at, what was in the cup? (laughs) He took the cup and he gave it to them. Well, a lot of people say wine. Uh, show me one place in the Bible it never says that it was wine in that cup. It does say that there was the fruit of the vine. We find that in Matthew chapter 26, and again over in verse 29, Jesus said, but I say unto you, notice this is the same tone. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So the real question is, does it matter what's in the cup? Now, you may think that I'm over-exaggerating, but I, you know, I know people that have used Coca-Cola, <laughs> all kinds of weird and wonderful drinks that they put in that cup to, to drink. They say, it doesn't matter. It's all, it's all something, you know, that, uh, uh, that we're just doing to remember him anyway. It doesn't make any difference. Well, I simply challenge that view. The Lord's Supper is very important. And he gave it to us, and the things that he gave us to use are very important. We don't use just anything. And, of course, for those that would be a little more... Uh, uh, straight-laced and don't want to use Coca-Cola or anything like that. Uh, some would use fermented wine, and some would use unfermented fruit of the vine, if you would, grape juice, something along that lines. Well, without going into back all the, the area that we've covered, my answer, first of all, is very, very simple indeed. If we apply everything that we just looked at concerning leaven, then I don't think there's but one possible answer. People can try to make it. Wine cannot be fermented without a leavening agent. It's impossible. It's part of the process. The only conclusion, the only honest conclusion that's consistent with Scripture is that it was a fruit of the vine and it was an unfermented fruit of the vine for all these reasons that we've looked at. If there were fermentation present within it, there were leaven present within it, number one, it couldn't have been when Jesus instituted it. It just was impossible because he wouldn't have been fulfilling the Passover that he was there for. It wouldn't certainly, the same symbolism would be there to represent the very blood, the sacred blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, to use something that had leaven in it. He said this cup, is the New Testament in my blood. He said those same words slightly in in, in another order here in 26, 28, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You see, we drink the cup 
that symbolizes we're remembering him, first of all, his body and all those things, but the cup then is symbolizing the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood that was sacrificed on Calvary for our sins. The second element that's provided at the Lord's table, this unfermented fruit of the vine, as we remember him, as we take of that cup, and it symbolizes the very blood of the New Testament that was shed by Jesus on Calvary for the remission of sins of all that would believe. What should we be remembering? Well, again, I won't go into detail. You can go way, way, way back in this series. We talked about a title in, uh, that was simply on nothing but the blood. Folks, we're remembering Jesus, specifically his body, his blood. Blood equates, equals life. You can turn back, you know, in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, the life is in the blood. I promise you, you just cut anywhere you want to that there's a big enough vein and let that blood roll out of you, you won't be breathing for long. <laughs> Blood's got to be there. You can't live without it. The same thing is true spiritually. In the spiritual realm, you can't live without the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus, in John chapter 6, uh, verse 53, he says there that it is if ye eat his body and drink his blood that you have life. Now, not talking about the symbolism here, but the reality in your life. It's got to be his blood that's applied. Without your physical blood, you have no physical life. Without the blood of Christ, you have no spiritual life. It's just that simple. Not only does the blood equate to life, but we saw that the blood effectuates the sacrifice. The blood is what makes the sacrifice effective. Without the blood, the sacrifice is worthless. Under the ceremonial law, for that sacrifice to be effective, the blood had to be applied to the altar and it had to be applied to the people. You can look back in Exodus chapter 24. You can read all about it. When the Passover sacrifice was killed, the blood had to be applied to the post in order for that death angel to pass over that we sang about earlier back in Exodus chapter 12. It didn't matter that it had been killed. The blood had to be applied. It didn't matter that the sacrifice itself that the sacrificial lamb had died, the blood had to be applied to the altar and to the people in order for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to be effective. His blood equates to life. But in order for it to be effective in your life, it's got to be applied. The sacrifice that has been made and that is sufficient for all of your sins, it's there. But until the blood is applied, It'll have no effect. It won't be effective. We also saw that it's the blood of Christ that establishes the covenant. It was the blood that established the old covenant with God's chosen nation, Israel, back in Exodus chapter 24 and verse 8. Without the blood, the covenant had no bearing. Well, in Matthew 26, where we have been reading and in these verses that we read before us, it's the blood that establishes the new covenant. 
What was it that uh, Jesus said? For this is my blood of the New Testament, the New Covenant, the New Testament, the one and the same. You see, God's made a covenant with us. We can hold to every promise that's in there. We can count on it, but only because of the blood. The only hope that we've got in God's covenant as his children is because it's been established through the blood of Jesus Christ. Also, we saw that it's the blood that eradicates sin, that gets rid of it, that does away with it. 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from what? All sin. It's the blood. Only through the blood can one's sins be forgiven. Redemption, atonement, justification, sanctification, all of those wonderful works, they're dependent on the sin being eradicated by the blood of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says, you were purchased by the blood. It's the blood, the blood alone that emancipates the soul. You see, through the blood of Jesus Christ, only then are we emancipated, are we set free from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of Satan, those things that held us before. It's the blood of Jesus that liberates us, that sets us free. You see, we're provided with the cup, a cup of unfermented fruit of the vine, but it's to remember Christ. I'm saying, folks, this is simple and this is fast and I'm piling it in there, but this is what the body is about. This is what the blood is about. This is what the two elements of the Lord's Supper is about. You see, if you're here and you're a child of God today, it's remembering these things. That's why we come to remember Him, His body, His blood. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, we want that to be a witness to you. We want it to speak to you. We want it to, not that this physical bread and cup can change your life, but the one we're remembering, his body, his blood, that can change your life. The ordinances of the New Testament church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, two ceremonies that are full of symbolism. They've been given to the church, to the New Testament church. That church has a responsibility to administer them according to the New Testament scriptures. They're rich. They're full of meaning. When they're scripturally understood, when they're scripturally practiced. So, yes, We've spent a few weeks looking at them because all too often they're just taken so lightly. They lose all of their real meaning. Folks, they should be very precious to us. When you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, your very first step of obedience is to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And then time and time again, as we come around the Lord's table, Let's not take it too lightly. We've said before, don't make it more than it is. That's not going to save you. That's not going to make you right with God. It's there 
to bring you face to face with Jesus. When we take of that piece of bread, we're remembering his body and all that means to us. When we drink of that cup and we use the unfermented fruit of the vine, you know, there's nothing in that that can save your soul. That may look a little bit like blood, but it'll never turn into real blood. There's only one real blood. And the blood that we're remembering, it was taken to the mercy seat for you. And that's what you need applied. That's the only way that sin can be dealt with. It must be applied. We can't do it for you. The church can't do it for you. All the religion in the world. So as we come as a church, I think all too often these ordinances are taken lightly. There too, baptism and the Lord's Supper. All this recognize the richness of what we're doing. Let's allow them to mean to us what Jesus meant for them to mean to us. Let's not make them into something that they're not. Let's not just go through a ritual, not do what they're there for, to remember him. Father, we thank you this day. Lord, we thank you that as we look at these, that as everything, Lord, in all of it, is pointing us as your children, is pointing us to Jesus. It's bringing us face to face with him. Lord, I pray today that every child of yours that is present here, Lord, that you would use these simple truths, Lord, just to remind them how precious you are. Lord, of how blessed that we are to have you in our lives. And Lord, if there is someone here today that's never been saved, that's never been born again, Lord, I would pray for them specifically at this time. Lord, as we come to understand these things, help them to see that it's all pointing to Jesus pointing them to Jesus, that they might come face to face with him, that they might understand their only hope is in him. Man doesn't have it. Religion doesn't have it. It's all about Jesus. He's the one that we want to look to today. So, Lord, as we come to the end of this time that we're meeting together here, Lord, as we sing these verses of this old hymn, I would pray especially this day, that if there be one present that doesn't know Jesus Christ, oh, let this be the day. Songwriter said, just as I am without one plea. And, Lord, they have no other hope, no other plea. There's no other chance. There's no other way except to come just as they are today. We'll give you the praise and thanks for that. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.